What is up, everybody? This is Alex, and you are listening to the American Toffee Podcast, serving up the latest Everton news with stateside views. I want to start off by saying uh, welcome to everyone who's tuning in for the first time. I really appreciate you um, checking out the podcast, and also thank you so much for um, all all the people that are tuning in consistently. And um, I'm really glad that you're you're uh, enjoying listening and and kind of interacting it's it's a lot of fun i'm having a ton of fun so far um and i can't wait to you know continue to get better and better and progress come up with different different types of topics and stuff like that so today just two kind of topics uh first one we're going to go into the post match from everton versus crystal palace at home and then second as always uh, a general tidbit um with different talking points regarding everton and all those who inhabit it. So starting off with the post-match, um, if you didn't catch the result, I'm sure most of you did. Uh, Everton played Leicester, or I mean, excuse me, Crystal Palace uh, at home on Saturday and won 3-1, to one, which is, in my opinion, a fantastic scoreline. Can't recall the last time we scored three goals. Uh, it has not been very often this season, I can tell you that. So lineup, what did they start off with? Um, Again, kind of a different lineup <laughs> per usual. It seems to be uh, the only thing consistent is inconsistent lineups this season, it seems. Uh, maybe results as well, inconsistent results. But started off with Pickford and goal per usual, never never going to change. Uh, at least I don't think so, but crazier things have happened. Um, Coleman at right back, Keane and Mangala in the center, and Martina at left back. In the midfield, this is kind of where it got interesting, we had Ghana and Rooney and Davies. I'm a big fan of, of that, that midfield three. And then up front, we had Sigurdsson on the left, in quotes, in air quotes, on the left. Uh, Nias up top and Walcott on the right. So some, stat, some stats from the match. Um, I was actually pretty surprised. We had 53% possession um, at the end. Obviously, we were at home, so you know that should be expected. But I remember flashed up on the screen watching through NBC. Um, probably 75 85 80 75 or 80 minutes in and it showed that we had we had maybe 33% possession in the second half and that's when we really kind of um turned it up a bit and and really started perform started to perform so I was I was definitely surprised to see in the end uh we ended up having the majority of the possession but that's good that shows that shows increased confidence uh, especially coming off of um, the last result. We had five shots on target, which obviously scored with three of them. In my mind, that's fantastic, right? We've seen throughout the season that we just waste chances. We haven't created enough chances, and when we create them, they're wasted, right? And so while five shots on target, you know, you kind of think to yourself, Crystal Palace at home, you know, without Zaha or Punchin or whoever else, um, we should probably be creating more chances or, or, excuse me, not creating more chances, probably get more shots on target. Um, it's still impressive, and, it, and I, I take it as a positive that we had five shots on target, scored with three of them. And then kind of the last stat that really stuck out to me was we had 16 tackles to Crystal Palace's 10. Now keep in mind, if you listened to the last episode or you saw this, um, I think it was a stat posted on or someone pointed it out on on the Everton subreddit. In the first half against Arsenal, we conceded four goals, and we only had, I think, uh, one tackle or two tackles in the first half. 
This week we come up with 16. Keep in mind that we started with one defensive midfielder and Davies played high up the pitch. So I think that that's extremely impressive. Um, it kind of shows the difference um, in, in uh, sharpness and attentiveness um, and I think desire as well. But let's go into uh, some individual um, individual performances. So starting off, I'm sure it's the, one of the first people you'd like to hear about, uh, Mangala. He definitely had a shaky first 15 minutes. Um, he had a really bad back pass that Pickford had to come way out for. And then naturally, um, Pickford kind of shanked his pass or his, excuse me, his clearance. And uh, I can't remember specifically which Crystal Palace midfielder had a shot from pretty far out. Thank God, while while Pickford was out of goal, thank God it was it was a pretty poor attempt. Um, but I will say, after the first 15 minutes or so, Mangala looked a lot better. He looked like he settled in, and you know that's that's not a new that's not a new thing to see from any Everton player, let alone a brand new one. Um, we we have seen almost every single match this season, um, even last season, honestly, where where the team really looked shaky and um, not confident in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, but again, he looked much better. He ended up hurting his knee. He, uh, he kind of collided with Hennessy on a corner and he landed and kind of twisted his leg a little bit. And I think, I think it messed up uh, his knee or some of the muscles or ligaments around it. He tried to continue, but after, you know, about 42 minutes, he, he came off before halftime replaced by Williams. So, in my opinion, um, definitely top two. Uh, maybe, maybe you could slide him in there for man of the match. Would be Ghana. Um, he looked ridiculously good this match. His confidence gave the rest of the team confidence, right? So the way the way the midfield three kind of worked was they played Ghana obviously deep and Rooney as well. You you would think Davies would be playing next to Ghana, but that is not how it how it worked and. And I think this kind of suited everyone on the pitch, right? We see numerous times Rooney plays attacking midfield, and they've got Sigerson, and they take up the same spaces. You know, they play the same style. So when you do that, Sigerson is forced to operate mainly on the left, and we see time and time again his it's just wasted. Um, but this time around, Ghana and Rooney were were uh, kind of deep lying, and Davies was just um, using his energy and pressing really well. And I think Ghana really, um, I think he really benefited from having Rooney at uh, central midfield with him as opposed to anyone else I've seen this season. It looked like they really understood what each other were going to do. I think, uh, you know, Ghana's not the best at um, moving the ball forward or, um, you know, picking out a pass or anything like that. But I really do think that, um, I think that Rooney gave him a bit of confidence. He knew that he could kind of sit back and he always had an outlet if he you know he wasn't going to get caught with the ball even if he was being pressed because Rooney would make space and and find an opening for him to uh kind of release some pressure and I think that's really you know what really attributed uh to Ghana's fantastic match yesterday and continuing on in the midfield you know as I said Rooney played deep with Ghana um and Davies played much further forward in kind of a free-flowing role, right? Which is what we saw last season he excelled at, right? He uh, 
he would play kind of forward in the midfield, um, and he just kind of gave the team other you know the opposition headaches. He has, you know, best the best energy and and best stamina. You know, he's up there. You know, Sigurdsson and Ghana for sure. But you know, you're talking about those three uh, in the midfield, and and you've got some ridiculous energy to burn. And so I think that helped a lot. You know, I think it also is. I think one aspect people don't really think about is the fact that you know if you're on the pitch and results aren't going your way and everybody's kind of down on confidence and then you're at Goodison Park and maybe maybe the home crowd isn't as loud as usual because obviously results have been horrible horrible I think it really does kind of lift you up if you look across the pitch and you see Tom Davies running his socks off which he does every single time you can never fault him he is one of the only people you can never fault for not putting in the effort when you see him doing that you know that you look bad if you're not and furthermore it kind of it kind of boosts your mood a little bit you know speaking from experience at least and so i think that's also one of one of the really um undervalued aspects or overlooked aspects um i think davies had a fantastic game um him and excuse that him and rooney connected well is really well also um, I think, like I said, that midfield three was fantastic. I'd love to see it continuously from now on. Um, you know, Davies helped transition the ball forward. Um, so, you know, you had Rooney picking short and long passes, and you've got Davies all over the, pla- Davies all over the place finding space, um, helping connect play further forward. Um, and, you know, you also had Sigurdsson doing the same thing. Um, so... And, and furthermore, when, when Davies plays further up, it opens up a lot of space for Sigurdsson because, you know, a lot of times in a 4-3-3, you'll see the front three staying pretty high up the pitch, not for Everton because, you know, we've, we really pack it down out of possession and you see the two wingers falling back. But a lot of times in, in teams that are, that are getting good results and they have the specific personnel a good system going for the 4-3-3 you'll see the front three sitting pretty far up um the central midfielders in the midfield three are sitting pretty far back and that that attacking midfielder is you know they got a lot of space a lot of space to play with and you know they, they have space let me rephrase that they have space but they also tend to be one of the only guys that are heavily marked, right? You know, a lot of a lot of teams, you know, when we when we play, let's say Arsenal, right? Well, used to. Uh, maybe that's not the best uh, ex- example at the moment, but you know, when we play Arsenal, if you ask me, okay, if they do one thing, what should they do? Well, I'd say Mark Ozil out of the game, right? Out of the match. Make sure he has stick Ghana or Davies on him the whole time and make sure that he's not afforded the, the time and space to pick out the the world-class passes that he does. Well, when you have Davies in the same team as Sigurdsson, right, and all the energy and stamina that I keep, I keep mentioning, honestly, for both of them, it allows Sigurdsson to kind of float into extra space created because they can't just mark Sigurdsson out of the game anymore, you know. And so I think that also kind of contributes to um, how well we did yesterday and how, the, how well the system works. But remember, very sarcastically, I'd like to point out that Sigurdsson and Rooney cannot play in the same team, according to Allardyce, about three weeks ago. So, 
maybe uh, maybe they shouldn't start next week. Or sorry, two weeks from now. Um, now Sigurdsson, you know, they show an average formation um, at the half for both teams, and Sigurdsson quite obviously was pretty much tucked in at the attacking midfield, or maybe like kind of a little further up, maybe like second striker type of um, uh, spot on the on the pitch. Um, that's expected. Uh, and that, that's kind of why you saw Martina venturing forward so much, which, in my opinion, um, he's not very good defensively. He's created a couple assists um, over the last, you know, couple weeks, including um, Nias's goal today, or sorry, yesterday. So I think, I think um, it works in that aspect, although I still don't like to see on the formation sheet that Sigurdsson's starting on the, on the left, quote-unquote. Now, moving up top, Walcott had a fantastic game per usual. Um, to my knowledge, he was not on the stat sheet, but, you know, I was ecstatic with the signing. I know a lot of people were really underwhelmed. If, he, you know, if, he was, if he's not good enough for Arsenal, he's not good enough for us, or, you know, if we're trying to move into the top six, why are we signing uh, a reject from the sixth-place club? But he offers, you know, attributes that nobody else does. He looks extremely confident on the ball. I remember... Um, one part in the second half of yesterday's game, I think he beat three players and then got fouled coming up on the fourth, on the fourth uh, uh, player on Crystal Palace. And, you know, he turned his back and got fouled from behind trying to hold it up when he realized he wasn't going to quite uh, pass the final man. And that's insane. You don't see You don't see anyone else at Everton doing that. One, doing it, period two, doing it as well as he can, or three, having the confidence to even try. Um, but furthermore, he as, as, a, as a wide player, he consistently beats his man. And lastly, I mentioned it, um, I think, two weeks ago, but his link-up play with Coleman is absolutely unreal. It is awesome. Um, and I'm so excited, I think, specifically for next season to see how that, um, how that plays out. Now, speaking of Coleman... Um, he got injured sometime during the second or the first half, excuse me, um, some type of muscle injury apparently. So uh, John Joe Kennedy came on for him in the second half. Um, obviously, never a bad thing when when young guys get get some time. And um, I will say, from what I remember, Sam Allardyce said afterwards that it has nothing to do with his with his double leg break. Um, in my opinion, and I'm trying to be positive on this on this one, but I'm thinking and hoping that. Um, it's just kind of his body getting used to um, playing again. You know, you'll see a lot of the guys on the pitch, specifically midfielders, but you know how Coleman's always running up and down the right side. They'll cover, you know, they'll co- they'll cover 10, 11 miles a match, sometimes a little more. So, um, you know, when he comes off of off of training and stuff after getting back healthy and and is, is his uh, leg feeling better? I think there's there's always going to be some issues with his with his muscles, and so ideally it was you know it was just uh, it was kind of preemptive. Maybe it's just bothering him, and hopefully we can see him back soon because that would be another huge loss again. And uh, Schneiderlin came on in the last ten minutes um, for Ghana, and what was absolutely crazy was he was booed when he was brought on. Everyone applauded uh, Ghana 
when he was coming off. He had a fantastic match, deserved the rest. Schneiderling came on and he received a bunch of boos. To be honest, I don't know how much I believe with, you know, the whole training ground incident and, and poor attitude and this, that, and the other. I know he's been absolutely awful this season um, for whatever reason, and that's obviously a mental thing. But I don't know how long, you know, he's going to be at the club. You very well could see him leave um, this summer, which would be a shame. But at the same time, you know, midfield's crowded if he is indeed a bad apple, which I'm sure the only people that know whether he is or not are his teammates and the coaching staff. Um, I hope they take care of it. Lastly, but definitely not least, um, Umar Nias. He caused a lot of problems for the Palace back line per usual, right? That's the name of his game. And surprisingly, he actually held the ball up quite well. His his first touch was much better than I've seen it before. I remember thinking that, you know, two, three times yesterday during the match. And he ended with a with a goal and an assist. He assisted Sigurdsson's goal from outside the box. Um, you know, I've been complaining and, and kind of confused as to why Tozun hasn't been getting time um, on the pitch. And I'm actually still kind of annoyed that Schneiderling came off for the last 10 minutes as opposed to Tozun because, you know, you can't tell me he needs to adjust to the game and then not give him minutes to adjust to the game. But you can't argue with the fact that Nias is still producing. He's on the stat sheet, you know, I'd say at least half the time he's he's playing, which is what you need. Um, I personally think that I think he should I think he should be staying for the next couple seasons if he if he wants to. I don't think that he's going to be a starter past this season, but with the numbers he's putting up um, and the amount of time he has played this season compared to that, I think it proves that he could be one of the, one of the most valuable squad players we have. And I, you know, maybe that's maybe some of you highly disagree with me, but I say with pretty full confidence that you know, I don't remember off the top of my head. I should have looked this up prior to, but he has quite a few goals and assists in the league this season. And again, between Rooney, uh, Calvert-Lewin, and himself, he has much less minutes played. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm hoping to see him back in a blue shirt for for the next couple seasons, at, at least, if he'll, if he'll stay. So talking about league table placement, as of yesterday's result, we are in ninth place with 34 points. Now, it doesn't feel too great. Um, I think it was, you know two weeks ago in which I'm talking about how we need to take our opportunity and, you know, Leicester and Burnley were dropping points and this, that, and the other. Well, yesterday, Leicester, Leicester City and Burnley both lost. So we are two points behind seventh place. So um, seventh place is 36 points. Now, obviously, we have an absolutely horrid goal differential. If I, if I remember correctly, it's negative 14, um, which is embarrassing but um here's what i will say we're being every single week we're being given opportunities to advance in the table from lester and burnley both and we have to start taking them now looked up the next two fixtures are watford away and you guessed it burnley away after that so we beat lester head-to-head um, a couple weeks ago um uh, and, you know, in a couple more weeks, two, three weeks, we need to go ahead and take it to Burnley and take care of business. They haven't been in good form. Um, 
and so we need to make sure that we um, continue to advance because you know seventh place is not out of reach and to be honest even with how bad we've been this season when you look at when you look at on paper our squad you know however many guys it is now what is it maybe 25 26 27 when you see the names on that sheet you know you cannot tell me that we could you know in our worst seasons we should not be finishing seventh place so i personally expect it you know that's that's where my mark you know that's where my uh my goal is going to be for the season. I still think it's definitely possible, but we have to take the opportunities. We can't keep missing opportunities when Leicester and Burnley drop points. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll continue to see an improvement. I think the Watford match is in two weeks. I want to say I saw it's on the 24th, um, which sucks. But um, hopefully they'll take the two weeks. They'll continue to train hard. Um, it'll give them kind of a bit of a mental break. Um, you know, and it, it's fantastic and very important that they ended on a high note before that because um, I think it's pretty apparent uh, that usually when we have long breaks, even when we end on a high note, um, they come back and they play like trash. And I, I guess that's down to mental preparation and mental strength, but I really hope this time around they they uh, kind of change the tune of that and um, come out ready to go against Watford in two weeks. So on to the general tidbit, right? Here's something that really concerns me and I know a lot of people are pretty upset about is yesterday, or sorry, two days ago, the lineup was leaked a day early for the third match in a row and it was spot on. What's going on? I don't know. You know, I can't speak for who has access to a team sheet, right? I personally, honestly, didn't know, this may sound ignorant, but I didn't know that um, the manager even decided the team sheet a full 24 hours in advance. Um, I guess it's not it's not that um, far fetched of an idea, but um, you know, I I know the players don't find out super early, more than a day in advance. But it, it's scary. Three three weeks in a row, it was leaked and it was spot on. Um, and I want to know who at the club is trying to make waves and send out the team sheet and this, that, and the other. I mean, from everything that's going on and all the things that are going wrong this season, why now do you have some imbecile leaking the team sheet? You know, that could come to bite us in the ass very soon because, you know, a, you know, a manager or a team could look at it and say, hmm, the last three weeks their team sheet has been leaked 24 hours in advance. They've been spot on. So if we see if we see a leak in, in our or coming up to our match, we know we need to make adjustments, and there goes the tactical battle of the match right there. Next up, uh, I know I mentioned uh, a while ago, or sorry, three, four days ago, Patrice Evro kind of, according to reports, he shrugged Everton for West Ham because he wanted to be in London. Um, Sam Allardyce came out and stated that we were not interested in Patrice Evra at all which is probably a good thing. I personally wouldn't have wanted to sign him. He's 36 years old. I don't know that he has the best attitude. He's a funny character, um, you know, watching his Snapchats and videos that he posts and stuff like that. But it's very clear that this is a, a cash grab, you know, nightlife sort of sort of mindset for him in the last year or two that he has left. So 
there was no reason to even try to throw money at him to come. I'd literally rather stick with Martina at that rate. Another, well, this kind of came out, I think, uh, yesterday. And it, it Daily Mail said that Everton want to want to sign um, Paulo Fonseca from Shakhtar in the summer when his contract is up. Now, obviously, it's the Daily Mail, and according to all my English friends on Reddit and Twitter, etc., um, say that that is one of the least reputable sources you could ever cite. But I will say that we've been linked to him for a good while. I know a lot of fans. Um, I saw a thread on the subreddit, you know, a day or two ago, saying that they really wanted Paulo Fonseca to come in the summer. I think it could be a good move. I personally don't watch Shakhtar. I don't know a whole lot about the guy except for the fact that he's in his lower 40s, um, which I think is beneficial because we see that in this day and age in soccer, um, we see that a lot of the old, a lot of the older managers come in with the same trick, same dance, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. Um, and so I think it would be pretty exciting um, to see a younger manager come in. And to be honest, past this season, we have nothing to lose. And kind of going along with that point, I saw something from Sky, Sky Sports, and this will blow your mind. Everton have the sixth highest expenditure across Europe in the last two windows, in January and the summer. I think it was quoted around 230 million pounds. That is absolutely crazy. You're talking about the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, Juventus, PSG, um, you know, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, and then all the English clubs, uh, Napoli, and you're going to tell me that Everton have spent the sixth um, highest amount of money, and we are in ninth in the Premier League alone. That blows my mind. That shows you how bad it's been. Now, again, um, trying to be a positive person, I think it's good in a sense that it shows you Moshiri is a man of his word. He came in, he's not afraid to spend the money. Again, about a month ago, he stated explicitly to the media, as long as I am here at Everton, there will never be any issues with wages or transfer fees. And he's stuck to it. And furthermore, I think it's good because he shows that he's willing and able to put his faith into people um, and allow them to attempt to do the job. <laughs> Notice how I said attempt. Uh, specifically, that's aimed at Steve Walsh. Um, you know, he's he's putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, now, obviously, that's, that's a pretty negative statistic. Sixth highest spending across Europe um, this year, but at the same time, on a, from an operational perspective and an ownership perspective, I think that's that's not a bad thing. Um, Lookman came on for Leipzig in the final 10 minutes of their match against Augsburg. Um, I didn't catch it. Obviously, it's 10 minutes. Um, from what I read, he was he didn't make that big of an impact. You know, ran it, ran it. Uh, defenders like he likes to do lost the ball a couple times, but that's natural for all attacking players. Um, but I will say that it seems like the fans are taking to him very well. I saw, I follow Leipzig on Twitter now uh, to keep up with Lookman, and they retweeted one fan who um, said something along the lines of, you know, Lookman is absolutely incredible. Like, he is ridiculous. 
And, uh, I, I, you know, I think with all the bullshit that's going on at the club right now, you know, Sam Allardyce kind of saying it was his quote-unquote attitude that forced the move and this, that, and the other. To be honest, he's appearing in, the ma in, you know, in matches each week, whether that's as a sub or starting in the Bundesliga for a close-to-top-of-the-table team. So I'm very glad. The only thing now that we are at risk of is, is him wanting to leave because of it. So um, I really hope that he continues to play well for them. Looks like the manager um, is very confident in him, and I hope that he comes back next season and can play a huge part at Everton. Another important news piece, um, David Unsworth turned down the opportunity to manage Oxford United um, so that he could stay with the Everton U23s. Now, I, I saw a lot of big um, sports personalities uh, in England were talking about how you know, okay, maybe he turned down Oxford United. He might not have felt that the timing was right for himself or for the club. Um, but at some point, if he really does want to manage Everton like he says he does, then he's going to have to get the experience at the top, you know, at a higher level in the U23s. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to complain that he's still here for the time being. And lastly, going off that point, Rooney stated that he wants to manage Everton in the future, uh, and he wants to start with the U14s. So if I, if I remember correctly, he was saying that he wants to get all of his badges by the time he retires, and he wants to start off with the U14s. And um, assuming the club kind of take to his request and his wishes, not his wishes, that's, that's a poor term to use, um, his uh, ambitions, then... That's what he'd like to do. He'd like to start off with the U14s, and I think that'd be awesome. Um, I think, one, he could be a fantastic manager. Um, you know, one, as a man, you know, as on the man management side of things, I'm relating to players, but two, you know, from what I understand, he's won many, many, many things. And, you know, he's Man U's top scorer. Um, I think that there's a lot of respect and a lot of um, a lot of knowledge to be brought to any club that he would want to manage or any team at a club that he would want to manage. So I think that would be a really positive news new move. Excuse me. Now I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, as always, if you're watching or excuse me, if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps me out. Keeps me up number one on, under the Everton search term. And I hope you guys have an awesome week.